Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. So in the next few weeks, now we're looking at Jesus' journey to the cross and Ben's going to be preaching to us from Matthew chapter 20. And I'm going to read for you from verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you'll indeed drink from, the, from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom to many. Awesome. Thanks, Ross. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. My name's Ben, if we haven't met. Um, I just want to say, reiterate one thing about that men's conference. Last week, I said 13 people had registered, and I said I'd spam you if more people didn't register. So you didn't get a spam email this week because we have 14 people registered now. So, men, can you get your act in order and register for that event? It's going to be awesome and here, and we can't wait for it. So, uh, it's on the back of your service sheet. There will be an email coming to you at some point as well. Hey, let's pray again, and then uh, we'll dig into this. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can be here this morning. Thank you that you are a God who speaks to us and meets with us. Father, we pray that right now that you would give us your spirit, that you would be here moving among us, that we may be transformed and changed and comforted by who you are and what you've done for us. So help us, Lord, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, I helped my parents move uh, out of their home. And if you've ever had that experience, it is uh, a little bit strange moving out of your family home that you grew up in. And this week, I had a bunch of memories that came to me that I haven't thought about for so long as we were cleaning that house. And I'd, I'd love to tell you about one of them. We, it was as I was cleaning my old room that I grew up in, as I was cleaning the desk that I uh, used to do work on. And this memory was from uh, a time in grade 7, term 3 of grade 7. Uh, I remember we had been given some homework uh, from our teacher. It was coloring in a world map of geog uh, some geography uh, uh, homework, and I decided for the first time all year, I was going to do my homework. I decided I was going to impress my teacher. It was a new term for me, a new start, and I thought, you know what, this is my time. I'm going to make the most of this, and I'm going to smash this homework. Now, I remember on that desk, I remember spending hours on this 
this world map. I remember it was so good. Like, I just let, like, really, it was very good. Well, the coloring, it was one of those moments where the shading, you couldn't, you couldn't tell. You know, you couldn't even see the pencil marks on that. I did that thing, you know, around the black bits where you're going to go a bit harder. And so it's like dark on the outside, light on the inside. Um, it was just next level stuff. It was the type of stuff that would win those, uh, those awards, those competitions at Easter time. You know those ones that are hanging up at Woolies? I would have won that if I entered that, but I didn't, I didn't do that. Instead, I thought, I'm going to take this to school and I'm going to impress my teacher. So the next day came around and I made sure it got there all right, you know, in that folder in pristine condition. And uh, we gave it to uh, our teacher. And so here I am sitting in our classroom and I'm thinking, this is my moment. And I see the teacher, she's got all of the, the papers there and she's just like marking them she's ticking them off one by one and you know it was the other students coloring and theirs was theirs was average at best so she's just looking at their stuff ticking it off that's fine and then she gets to mine and I remember she stopped and she she turned it over and she looked at the name on the back and then she turned it back over and looked again and then she she did it again double checked that it was mine and then and then there it was and and she grabbed this this coloring and she stood up in front of class and so I'm thinking, this is it for me. This is my moment. I, I did this to impress my teacher, to find significance. This is my moment. And she said, Ben, and I proudly said, yes. And she said in front of the whole class, there is no way you did this. You haven't done any work all year. Who did this for you? I was crushed. I was embarrassed, my moment of glory, now my moment of shame, and here I am as a year seven student crying in front of the whole class. The tears were real. The teacher did apologize to me after that, but, but this was the memory that came back, the trauma that came back from me uh, this week as I was cleaning this desk. Now, it is kind of funny that I remember this memory, but I think it's significant to me because this was a moment in my life where I went searching for value, for significance, and I didn't find it. And I, and I know here this morning there is a reality for all of us that, that many of us have had a similar, a similar moment. Now, it, it probably wasn't over-coloring for you, right? Chances are you didn't try to impress anyone over a coloring sheet, but we've all had that moment where we've gone searching for value, searching for significance, and it didn't go the way that we wanted it to. And there's a reality for that because within all of us as humans, this kind of desire for value and significance to be seen, that is something that lies in all humans. Every single one of us here today, we're, we're, we gather here today, but within all of us, there's this longing to be seen, this longing to be valued and find significance. And so today, what we want to do is just spend a moment thinking about this. We want to reflect on this idea, and we want to ask this question, if we can't find it in coloring in sheets, where do we find value and significance? Where do we get our value and significance from? And, and where can we find a value and significance that isn't based on our ability, on our kind of hustling, on our efforts? Where can we find a value and significance? And more than that, what difference is that going to make for us if we can truly find value and significance? This is what we're going to look at today. If you've got your Bibles there, because what we find is this story is all about value and significance. We find ourselves in this moment in Matthew chapter 20, where we see two people are on the search, well, and their mum, for value and significance. And so as we think about this, we start in verse 20, where we find these boys and their mum on this search. It says this, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her, uh, with her sons, and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. 
She said, grant that one of, my, uh, one of these two sons may sit, of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Okay, so, so where do we find value and significance? So what we're going to start by looking at this morning is the temptation of the world. That's what we see here with James and John, and their temptation is to find value and significance in position and power. That's where they're searching for this. And you get that sense there as soon as we enter into the story. You see, we find ourselves in the moment uh, we're on the way to the cross. That's what Ross said before. We are heading into Jerusalem where Jesus would die on a cross. And the previous verses, Jesus has just said he's going to die on the cross, right? That's literally what he's just said. And then we get to this moment where the mother of James and John falls before Jesus to ask something of him. Now, we're going to see, this is a little bit strange here. They're getting their mum to give them value and significance. You know, I don't know if that's ever been a good idea to get your mum to try and ask for something for you. But this is what she does. She falls before Jesus' feet to ask him. Now, you see what she's doing here. On the one hand, she gets something about Jesus. Okay, you notice that. She gets something about Jesus here. She gets that he's a king of some type, right? So she's falling before him. She says, can you grant this position in the kingdom? So she gets on the one hand that he is a king, but on the other hand, she misunderstands the type of king that Jesus will be. You know, she thinks that Jesus is going to go into to Jerusalem, conquer Rome, set up his kingdom in great power, and then all of the Jewish people are going to sit under his kingdom, and that's, you know, what Jesus is going to do. She's thinking worldly kingdom. So, so on the one hand, she gets that he's king, but on the other hand, she misunderstands the kingdom. But what her request is, is can James and John have the positions of glory where they have power and prominence in your kingdom, your worldly kingdom? Now, again, it is weird. We all know that, right? We see that. It is weird that the mama asks on behalf of the kids. Now, don't get me wrong. It is a mother's God-given duty to embarrass, do embarrassing things on behalf of their kids. And if you're a mum here today, this is not my effort to stop, you know, keep up the embarrassing things. You need to do that in your life. But, but this is weird. This is weird. You notice that. And, and so we want to ask this question, okay, so if, Jesus, if they're asking Jesus for positions of power and prominence, how is Jesus going to respond? Well, basically, the way he responds is not only is it weird, it's wrong. It's a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And there's this back and forth from verse 22 and 23 where we essentially see that Jesus' kingdom is different to the kingdom they think. So they think Jesus is going to come in power. Jesus is going to go to the cross. They think they're going to have glory, positions of, of right and left. Jesus, the positions of right and left are those who are hanging on the cross with him to the right and left. They think the cup that Jesus is going to bring is a cup of victory. That's why they say we can drink it. What Jesus is going to drink is the cup of wrath, which we saw last week. The judgment of God on himself as he dies on that cross. They completely misunderstand what Jesus is about to do here. But at the heart of their request, you can see it there, the heart of their request is for power, for prominence, for position. That's where they want to find their glory. It's in the temptation of the world. Now, now we see this here with James and John. But before we start thinking we're better than them... We need to realize that we too can fall to this temptation. You know, it is ridiculous, okay? It, and, and Matthew wants us to see that this is ridiculous. There's a contrast here. You know, Jesus just says he's going to go to the cross. They're asking for glory. It is a crazy request. But of course, we must recognize that we too can fall into the, the, t the temptation that they fall into. You know, we all fall into that. I mean, you think about power, recognition, prominence. You think about the moments. We don't get those things. 
You know, have you ever had those moments where you've, been, uh, you've done something at home or at work and you didn't get recognized for that? You know, you know what I'm talking about. How do you feel when people don't recognize what you do? No one likes that. You think about power or position. You think about when someone else gets that promotion. Or you think about when someone else gets that, that, that longing that you wanted. I mean, how do you go with people in authority over you? You know, in our culture today, none of us really enjoy the power dynamics that sometimes exist within those relationships. Sometimes we think we deserve that power. You think about this idea of, 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 of prominence, of being in front of people, getting that, 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 that forefront on people's minds. You know, when someone else gets where you think you deserve, none of us like that, right? We, we all fall into this temptation. And I think if we were there, we probably would have been James and John. We too would have got our mums to ask on behalf of us if we could have this position. So, so here we've got the temptation of the world, right? The, the, in, in terms of the search of value and significance, the first way that we can find it is in the world. So then we want to ask the question, okay, so what's the alternative? What's the opposite? What does Jesus offer as something different? Well, well, this is where he goes in this passage, and we're going to call this the challenge of Jesus, and you see why as we get to it in verse 24. It says this, When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So what's the alternate? Well, Jesus says the alternate to the temptation of the world, power and prominence and position, is servanthood and slave. You want to be great, you become a servant. You want to be first, you be a slave. Now, again, the story's worth uh, understanding here. The ten, when they hear James and John's request, are indignant. They're angry by this. And I do love that they're angry by this because, I mean, who wouldn't be? These are the other ones of the twelve disciples. And they're angry by James and John's request. And of course they are. I mean, we're not told why they're angry. You can guess why they might be angry. I reckon some of them actually want to, thought, you know, we should have asked that question first. I think some of them are maybe a little bit angry they didn't get in. On that, I think some of them might be angry because this is our group, we're the tribe, we're the 12 people, and two of them are going rogue trying to get the positions of power. I reckon some of them are just angry because they didn't get their mum to do it. You know, maybe Matthew, as he's writing this, thought, man, I wish my mum would go and ask Jesus for some (laughs) positions of power and prominence. We're not told exactly why they're angry, we're just told they are. They are angry, and Jesus responds basically by saying, boys, you've got the idea of the kingdom wrong anyway. The kingdom of God doesn't operate like that. In fact, he says there, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the Gentiles is essentially everyone outside of the kingdom. He says the way the world works is when there's authority, the one in authority uses the people under them, abuses the people under them, gets them to do whatever they want, disregards them. That's how the world works. But then he has this powerful line there in verse 26, four words, this sentence, not so with you. Now, let's just sit on that for a moment. Not so with you. The world might operate where you've got authority structures, where the one in authority says, you do what I say because I'm in authority. Not so with you. We don't do that. The world might say, you must submit to me. In authoritative structures, Jesus says, 
Not so with you. In the world, they might say, I'm the boss, you do what I say. Not so with you. We don't do that. I mean, how we've got this wrong over the years as Christians, whether it's in churches or homes or workplaces. We've misunderstood authority. Authority was never meant to be like that. Authority was never meant to be this position where you have the position and you use it. No, there's this dance that takes place where you've got the authority. How do you become great? How do you become first? Well, what does Jesus say? He, he says, you become a servant. You lower yourself. You become a slave. You exalt those who are underneath you. That's the way that authority is meant to work in Jesus' world. And so you get this challenge from Jesus. He says, you, you want to be great. You want to be first. And here it is. You become a servant and a slave. This is the challenge of Jesus. Now, you, you kind of think about the options that we've had so far, and you think, okay, so where are we going to find value and significance? So let's just, let's take a step back from the, option, uh, the, the options that we've been given, and let's have a look at both of them side by side, okay? So we've got this on the screen up there. We're going to put it as option A and option B. So option A, the way of the world, the temptation of the world. This is where Jesus, uh, where James and John are trying to find it, okay? So this is what we saw with them. For them, their value comes in position, power, recognition. The uh, posture that James and John have is pride. You, you might call it self-righteousness or self-pity. That's where I am at the center of the world and I matter more than anyone else. The impact on others is you use people, you abuse people, you disregard people. That's the temptation of the world. Then you've got option B, the way of Jesus, the challenge of Jesus. The value comes, Jesus said, you want to be great, you want to be first, servant, be a servant, be a slave. The posture is humility. Count others better than yourself. The impact on others is you serve others. You care for others. Now, these are the two kind of options that we've been given this morning. Now, you know, let's ask the question, okay, so which option do we want? Now, I know, right, we've, we've come to church this morning. We look ni you look nice this morning. We wear a, have a smile on our face, and we all say, option B. Of course we want option B. But let's be real for a moment. We want option A. I want option A. I want power. I want recognition. I want people to see what I've done. We all want option A. I mean, option B on a good day, fine, but what about when the heat turns up? What about when you're tired, exhausted? You know, you, have you had those moments that I've had to my shame where I've said this to, to Elizabeth, I know, my, Elizabeth, my wife, I know that I need to lay my life down and care, but I just don't want to. We've all been there, right? Like you, you turn the heat up of your life, your exhaustion, you're tired, the kids are screaming, the work hours are stressful, you're sick, your body is giving way. And in those moments, what do we want? We want recognition. We want power. We want position. We want to do what we want to do. And we don't want to have to do anything for anyone else. And so you kind of think then, why would anyone pick option B? Slave, servant, humility, counting others better. Well, like, why would anyone do that? Well, this is where we go in this passage. Because the passage starts with the temptation of the world, the challenge of Jesus, but then it moves to the reason why you would pick option B. And so what we're going to see as we keep reading is we get two reasons why we would pick option B, and it's both got to do with the beauty of Jesus. 
One, he deals with your sin. Two, he deals with you gently. So let's have a look at this from verse 28, the reason why we would pick option B. Jesus has just said, you want to be great, you be a servant. You want to be first, you be a slave. And then he says in verse 28, just as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here is the first reason you would pick option B. It's because Jesus did this. Jesus, who is God, entered into our world not to be served. Now, he could have been served. He deserved to be served. Jesus made the whole world. Yet he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this word ransom for many is really significant. We sung about it already this morning. But, but ransom is this idea that Jesus was taking our place. He was stepping in front of us. Now, the reason he needed to do that is because throughout the Bible, there's this word sin, which is described for the way we treat God. And, and one way to describe sin is essentially it's selfishness. It's self-centeredness. So if I put myself first, that's sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We deserve death for rejecting God, for living our life our own way. Now, when God saw our sin, think about this for a moment. When God saw our sin, what options do, does he have in that moment? Now, if we reflect on, on the, the way the world works before, if we reflect on those options, if, if God was option A, if he was all about position and recognition and power and pride and self-centeredness, if God used others, abused others, disregarded others, what does God do when he sees the world in sin? At best, nothing. At worst, he disregards it from Genesis 3. There is no world. If God is like the world, the world, we don't exist. But what Jesus is saying here is he is not like that. The Son of Man came into the world, not to be served, but to serve and lay his life down as a ransom for many. Jesus' death on the cross was instead of us so that we could have life. This is why you would pick option B, because it's not just the challenge of Jesus, it's attached to the beauty of Jesus and the reality that he will deal with your sin. You see, you can pick option A to find value and significance. You can find your recognition in the world, you can hustle for power, you can go after all those things and push others down, exalt yourself, use and abuse and disregard others in your life. And if you find value and significance in this world, at the end of the day, you will still have to face your sin. That's the reality. You pick the world, you still have to deal with your sin. But the first reason you would go option B is because attached to the challenge of Jesus is the beauty of Jesus that he deals with your sin. At the cross, he dealt with it. So the, the first reason we would pick that is because Jesus deals with our sin. But the second reason is actually from the next, uh, the next passage. And, and in this next bit, we see something so beautiful. It's the way Jesus deals with people. You see, Jesus doesn't just deal with your sin, he deals with you gently. And this is so good. So let's have a look at this next verse here, because we read from verse 29 that Jesus, he's just said he's going to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in verse 29, he's heading, uh, we're leaving Jericho, heading towards Jerusalem, and a large crowd is following him. Verse 30, two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David. They're essentially saying in this moment, King Jesus, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, King Jesus, have mercy on us. 
So you've got the context, right? Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. Large crowds are gathered around him. And then all of a sudden, there's these two people, these two blind beggars who cry out for mercy. Now, beggars back in the day are insignificant. They are no one. They can't offer anything to society. Day in, day out, they are treated as just, they're in the way. And they, they can't offer anything. They can't work. They can't do anything. So what do they do? Well, day in, day out, they plead for money. They plead for care. They plead that people would look after them. That's their life. And in the ancient world, beggars were nothing. And you see that here. The beggars are nothing. Because when they cry out for mercy, what does the crowd do? What do they do? They tell them to be quiet. They say, you know, be quiet. And why do they say be quiet? What are they saying in that moment? They're saying you're insignificant. You don't count. You're nothing. Do you see that? Do you see the reality here? Like the crowd, the world are saying you are nothing. You are insignificant. And, and what choice do they have? They can't do anything about that. They've got nothing to offer. They're blind beggars. So how is Jesus going to respond? Well, if he's of this world, if he's all about himself at the cost of others, he does nothing. And no one says anything if he does nothing. Do you notice that? No one would even blink an eye if he walked past these blind beggars. But what does Jesus do? Look at verse 32 because it's so good. Verse 32, Jesus stopped. And he called them and he said, what do you want me to do for you? It's so good. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him. This word for compassion here is pretty good. In the Greek, it literally means Jesus felt for them from his gut. Have you ever had that feeling? You know, last uh, Saturday night, Poppy, our daughter, had um, a vomiting bug, and she's just started to talk. And it's the middle of the night. We're all tired, and she's uh, vomited again, and we go in to clean up after her, and we're just holding her, Elizabeth and I, and we say, are you all right? And she points to her mouth and she says, hurt. <laughs> and then just has this cry from her heart. And we felt for her from our gut. You just wanted the best for her and you know that vomiting sucks. Jesus had this for these nobodies. Are you kidding me? Like, it, they're no ones. They're insignificant. They don't mean anything to anyone. If Jesus walks past, no one even blinks an eyelid, yet he, he doesn't just stop. He doesn't just heal them. He feels from them from the very depths of who he is. This is our God. 
This is who he is, and this is the way he treats us. Do you see why this isn't just a good story? It's good news for people like us. It's good news because we don't have it all together. We, we actually are failures. We can't even live up to our own standards. And many of us are sitting here this morning and we feel that. Many of us feel the weight of this. We're here today, but we feel this reality that no one cares, no one sees me. And if I wasn't here, no one would notice. Jesus cares from the gut for people like you. It's, it's really good. It's the best thing ever. And this is why we would pick option B. Because the challenge of Jesus comes with the beauty of Jesus, the fact that he deals with our sin and he deals with us so gently. So, so here it is. Where are you going to find your value and significance? You can find it in the world. You can pursue power and prominence and recognition and possessions. You can find it in what the world has to offer. But know that if you're going to do that, know that you've got to hustle for that. You've got to work hard for that. And you can't ever stop to consider failure. You can't ever stop to consider that maybe you're not good enough, even for your own standards. And even if it goes well for you, even if you get lucky enough that your business succeeds or your strategies succeed, you know what? Eventually in our life, our bodies will fail us. And at that point, we will come before the living God and have to face our sin. And he will not deal with our sin then in a way where he drinks the cup for us. We will have to drink it for ourselves. Or we can find our value and significance in Jesus, in who He is and in what He's done, not in ourselves, not in our own efforts, not in our own hustle. And the beauty of this is we begin to realize that the people we're most like in the story are the blind beggars because we don't have anything to offer. And this is genuinely the best thing ever. Thank God for this truth, because here's the reality, right? Like, we, we actually all will face moments of failure. You know, you, you can be crushing it in life at certain days and certain weeks, but eventually we will find ourselves in days and weeks and months and years where it's just not going the way that we want. And I don't know how you go when you're faced with failure and your own failure, but for me, it's, it's a little bit difficult. And... And this week was kind of like that for me. You know, like every day I just woke up and it was just, I was in a bad mood from the moment I woke up. And every day when I went to bed, I thought about how I wasn't the dad I wanted to be or the husband, or the colleague, or the friend. I thought about things that I said that I shouldn't have said, ways I didn't listen. And, and you just get to the end of those weeks, and for me, being a failure is, is pretty crushing. But do you see? Do you see the beauty of this? My value, my significance doesn't come from me. So even if I crush this week, it doesn't come from me, it comes from Jesus. 
Jesus who values me and calls me significant because of what he did at the cross, and then Jesus who deals with me so gently, who knows what my weeks are like, who knows what I'm going through and brings me value and significance. It's such good news. We can find our value and significance in Jesus. And, and what happens then is it transforms us. It's quite radical what happens because when we grasp securely who I am in Christ, it transforms me to actually be able to do the things he's called me to be. Right? So I can serve, I can be the slave, knowing it's not at the cost of my value and significance. You know, like everything in life that we do, when we exalt other people, it's at the cost of our value and significance. But in Jesus, it's radically different, because it's not at the cost of value and significance. We serve, we're slaves, because we have value and significance. And if we as a church grasp a hold of this, individually and as a body, we will be a secure body of believers who are seen and who are loved and who live their life lifting others up and serving others because that's what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you that our King is worthy. As we've been singing all morning, Jesus, you are worthy of our lives and our hearts. You are worthy of everything that we've got because, because you loved us. Even though we were dead in our sin, you loved us. You laid your life down for us. And you don't treat us harshly. You don't disregard us. You don't abuse us. You don't use us. You care so deeply for us. And you deal with us so gently. And we praise you for this. Jesus, we pray that we would be a people secure because we are seen. We are loved. Even if the world tells us we're not, even if that's what we feel right now, we have this sense, Jesus, you see us, you love us. And we pray, Lord, that we would be a people who are secure in this truth and are able to serve, not the cost of our value, but because we've got it. Help us, Jesus, we pray.